Chapter 4, The Ship We've been moving along the coast of Sumatra for a few days now. I've been able to stay with the boy Scotty, who has been feeding me, treating me like his own, and making sure we played at least for an hour when his chores were done on the boat. There should only be a few stops from now until we lay anchor near Australia's main port, Perth, or Port Headland. These ships normally restock their wells and take some time to visit the local easy house or churches, whichever suits your fancy. It's still been on my mind exactly who these boys were. I saw the captain, whose name was Foreman, with those navy colors of gold. He dresses plainly in a dark gown-like robe as they move closer to port. I don't see the chest with S on it anymore either. A few strange things happened since the time I joined this sail. Land ahoy, shouts the top mate on the mast. I can see the green, lush, broccoli-like tops of land getting nearer in sight, with only a small house lying on its islands welcoming us in. There was a long pier where we were able to lock up our ropes and pay to have it watched. The Port of Madreya is what it was called. Named after the town just down the road, the crew had not done a thing all morning except wait to get on shore. I assumed they were used to this sort of thing. All the crates from below were now lined up and ready to be moved ashore. Then I saw it again, the chest with the S, but it looked as though only one man was needed to carry it. They must have taken out the heavy silver and gold coin. The daylight was just ending as we arrived, and the moonlight sprang up shortly along with its stars. Now the small port looked like a chateau party back home with candles lighting the path into town. I waited until the sailors disembarked so I could wander around the ship a little more and find some meaning on whose ship exactly I was sailing on. White shirts, blue trousers, blue caps rolled off the ship's side to the city. Captain Foreman wore all black, distinguishing himself from the others. <clears throat> no one was on the ship that I could see. Even Scotty left me behind. For a second I was nervous. We would be here for a while. Only a few flames remained luminous as I surveyed the main deck. The railings were beautiful, carved out of hard oak with stenciling as beautiful as the sky itself as it parlayed with the ocean ceiling. Images of men and their names inscribed in every inch of their sides. Almost all of it was carved. On the outside of the railing it was a flat as a plank that precedes it, and the inside a whole other world. Just like the disguises of the captain, the ship seems to have its own secrets. The floor was a dark maple at night and hard through and through. Each corner of the ship had huge brass markers with the insignia ATS. Australian Trail South. Trail South was a rumored sanctuary for pirate ships. Pirate ships, I can't believe my fate would set me on foot a pirate ship. Strange enough indeed for more inquiry, I thought. I decided to head down the stairs, check out a few more places before I left to the island, where I could stretch my newly acquainted and acquired sea legs, all four of them. The cabins below were handsomely dressed with thick carpet lining, the entrance to each a total of eight. Two cabins in the far corner at the bow of the ship, three cabins were for the leadsman and the ship's mate, and three on the starboard side, all with the same carpet lining on the entrances and bright red carpet for privacy on the inside 
windows. A real fine and elegant ship it was. Two more at the port side of the boat and then the captain's quarters way in the back. I scrambled further down the steps to the bunks which hold the other sailors, a total of eight private cabins, and twenty-two open bunks with each post engraved a letter. The first bunk I looked at has an L, and the middle of the letter is a small diamond. The next is an S, but this time a gold coin, another with a Q and a silver ring like you'd put around your finger. Each of the twenty-two bunks had a letter and symbols of jewels. Becoming even more confused with all this, I stumbled upon another chest below the bunks. This time I noticed small sacks of brown sap. I couldn't understand what this was. It didn't seem like food, and the smell was something I recognized before. Now being so close to it, I felt a strange lightheadedness. The only time I smelled something like this was when I was searching for outlawed opium poppy plants with a local magistrate. I believe I ran across the same derivation. This brown sap must have been opium pure running to the buyers. So all this time the diamonds, chests, jewels, strapping young men using old navy uniforms were really drug smugglers? I guess it had something to do with the India's revolt against the Queen. Many of the Queen's men turned against their normal duties as officers and worked along the illegal crime scene. Once revolution was at its peak in the movement of the country in full swing. Thinking back even to the small port and the nighttime arrivals, I knew something was out of the ordinary. In fear of being found out, they kept a low profile but wore their customary uniforms to demand respect where they bartered. I think it's time for me to head back upstairs. Forget the island for tonight, though. I'm too tired and my mind full of too many thoughts. I'm going to Scotty's area and resting.